35% of women on the planet, that's 1.3 billion people, have encountered sexual violence. That's the equivalent to the entire population of North America and Europe combined. And in the US alone, a staggering 25 million Americans are rape survivors, a population nearly equal to the state of Texas. And today's Woman of Impact is sadly one of these statistics. However, she has publicly said that being raped was not the worst part of the ordeal. The worst part was how she was treated after the fact. You see, depending on the state you live in, survivors may not have the right to access their rape kits, and in many cases, they are destroyed before the statute of limitations expires, often giving convicted rapists more rights than their victims. She had a choice, accept the injustice or rewrite the law. Cue Wonder Woman theme song. She laced up her boots, sharpened her weapons, and strapped on her cape. She was ready to go to war. And like the bat symbol in the sky over Gotham City, she sent out a rallying cry to people everywhere. Founder and CEO of RISE, she gave victims a catalyst to publicly start fighting for their civil rights. This included the rights to protect your rape kit from destruction, the right to have a copy of your police report, and the right to have access to your own medical records, which up until that point was close to impossible to obtain in certain states. Well, within just two months, they introduced the Sexual Assault Survivors Bill of Rights in the states where her assault was taken place. Within four months, other states were asking her for the bill. And in just five months, she found herself in the halls of the United States Congress. And on October 7th, 2016, the law was signed by President Obama codifying a basic set of comprehensive civil rights for at least 25 million rape survivors, as well as served as a model for 15 other laws protecting sexual violence survivors throughout the nation. She has since written and passed 27 laws in her fight for women's rights, laws that have affected nearly 72 million survivors and counting. Featured in the New York Times, the Washington Post, The Guardian, named in Forbes 30 Under 30, and her bill was recognized by New York Magazine as one of the best things to happen in 2016. So please help me in welcoming the 2019 Nobel Peace Prize nominee, a true hero to humanity, the real life superwoman, and may I be as bold as to say, the future Madam President, Amanda <laughs> Wynn. Thank you so much. Please, I want to live up to whomever you just described. <laughs> oh, you go. I had to wear my Wonder Woman shirt, especially for you. When I say you are the real life like superhero, I really mean it. The amount of li lives you have touched is staggering. So where I want to start, though, mm -hmm. is basically, if you don't mind going yeah. back to, to the rape itself, mm -hmm. when you're after the event, mm -hmm. They're checking you for about six to seven hours, is that right? So the first place I went was the hospital. Okay. Um, most people don't know that uh, there are rape kits available, but also most people don't know that rape kits take up to seven hours long. Um, and it's because rape kits are both medical life-saving attention and also forensic collection, evidence collection. Mm. The crime scene is your body, right? Um, and so at that moment, they bring in specialized nurses. They're called SANE nurses, so sexual assault nurse examiners. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they go through a checklist. Um, it can be a traumatic experience. And I remember after going through that, um, walking out of the hospital, 
and just being completely lost. I had no idea what my rights were, what was going to happen to the evidence that was just taken from my body. Um, I had no idea where to go. Um, and so that's when I started literally turning to Google. Mm -hmm. I turned to Google and just put in, what are my rights? What do I do? And it was surprisingly very difficult. Um, you know, I had the privilege of having a, uh, a lawyer that I talked to who was a Harvard Law School uh, professor. Her name was Diane Rosenfeld. And Diane is one of the best in the nations on these issues. But even with Diane's immense expertise, uh, we couldn't understand what was happening. Um, it was like a labyrinth and basically a very twisted way that the criminal justice system told me and other rape survivors, well, go and try to see if you can save your own justice. That's when I decided, well, this is really messed up. There, there's something really wrong. But a really pivotal, catalytical moment for me was I remember walking into my local area rape crisis center, and that waiting room was filled. Um, I, I cared about these issues before I was raped, but I had no idea how difficult it is for survivors then and now still to go to a criminal justice system that wasn't built um, for survivors, that isn't trauma-informed. So I've never been in that situation. So like you said, if, you're, if you haven't been there, you mm -hmm. don't know how bad the injustice is. Right. Now, so many people, 25 million, 50 million people, have mm -hmm. that same situation and they all turn and say, there's nothing I can do. Like they, they may yeah. rally like, I can't believe this is actually real. I can't believe this is the law. Yeah. But no one fights it. What on earth made you going from maybe feeling powerless or being in a situation yeah. that is powerless mm -hmm. to then deciding I'm going to take this on. And you're not just taking on a company, you're taking on the law. Um, what goes through your mind in order to go, I'm going to do this? Yeah. Um, I want to talk to any survivor who's out there. One, I want folks to understand no matter where you're from, who you are, what your background is, what you are wearing, it doesn't matter that we believe you, you know, um, and you are loved um, and you will make it through. I, I want survivors to understand that because in that moment afterwards, I spent one week literally just locked in my room, just going over the same thing, how, why, how, why, mm -hmm. and I realized I could never get into the mind of a rapist. Um, so I would never have any satisfactory answer because there is no answer that could be satisfactory mm -hmm. to why did he rape me or how did this happen. Um, and after I was able to find that piece for myself, um, I then started to research again through Google <laughs> what my rights were and how difficult it was. You know, I say this often, but I still stand by it. The worst thing that happened to me wasn't being raped, it was being betrayed by mm -hmm. a broken criminal justice system. You know, I grew up um, in this country believing in sacred rights. Um, and to have that thrown in my face, 
was was very stressful um, and was heartbreaking. You know, I um, I think that the most powerful tool that we all have is our voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized at that moment that the law has a gender. The gender is not female. Mm-hmm. Um, and how important it was for us to speak up um, and include our voices. You know, I think there is a saying and it's, if you're not at the table, you're what's on the menu. And for us, it's been about building our own table then and inviting everyone we can to sit there um, so that we can build our own power. Rape is about taking away power. Mm. And so uh, I, one, want people to know you have agency. It, it does take time to heal. Um, but also, more importantly, you have a constitutional right to petition the government. That is in our constitution. And so to answer your question, I believe in democracy. And so I exercised that right. So it literally was just just your belief system that pushed you to going from feeling powerless to then actually taking charge. It was that plus rage, to be very honest. It was um, the second time that I had to fight for my rape kit. So in Massachusetts, where I was raped, um, they destroyed rape kits, the evidence that's collected, uh, untested at six months. Um, and the statute of limitations is 15 years. But the double standard is that convicted rapists have the right to hold on to the kits for the duration of their conviction, but not survivors. And the other double standard is that other class A violent felonies, for instance, murder, never has their evidence destroyed, only in cases of rape. Mm. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought that was really unfair. And it made no sense for anyone involved. Obviously not for the survivor, but also not for the police officer who has to have evidence in order to find out what happened. Um, and also for the accused. You know, evidence can exonerate the accused. Um, and so a large part of what we have to do is stay really centered, to have a very clear North Star and invite these people who might be natural enemies to the table um, and say, I want to include your voice too. And it's because we're all here for a shared common purpose. Ooh, all right, how on earth do you keep calm then? Because, <laughs> and stay centered, because, right? Like, so A, you said you spent a week by yourself at yeah. home. Um, I've heard a lot of rape um, victims, or sorry, they're not, you don't refer to them as rick- victims, correct? Survivors, which I actually want to talk to you about using yeah, yeah, that word, please, which yeah. I love. Um, the rape survivors um, usually, I've heard, go to blame mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. So take me through that and then how you were angry and mad and just pissed. Yeah. And it's like, I'm right. going to get my rights yeah. back to then go from that to then saying centered so mm-hmm. that you can. Yeah. I um, tried to figure out how to do it. Um, again, so absurd that this is what people tell survivors to do. They say, go to the police, mm-hmm. go to the hospital, mm-hmm. do the right things. And yet when we go do these things, we're met with something that's way worse. Uh, a system that doesn't believe us, that asks us what we were wearing um, and asks us things instead of actually being there, being trauma-informed um, and trying to find justice. And so I remember literally I sent out an email to everyone I knew on November 1st, 2014, <laughs> literally everyone, I see everyone, and I said, walk with me. <laughs> I 
I think that there has to be this aspect of just fuel, right, mm -hmm. um, in anything, and also just passion. So you believe in something so much that it crosses this line of shamelessness, right? Whereas before, I might have been scared to put all my professors on an email. I did not care. That's <laughs> I was interesting. Like, Everyone needs to know about this because I believe in this so much. Um, and that aspect has really carried me through. So rage did fuel me, mm. but it didn't sustain. And what I realized as I went on is that movements absolutely need rage, um, outrage. Mm. Mm. But hope sustains movements. You know, there's a lot of burnout. There's a lot of activism burnout. I think every day we wake up and there are so many things on the news that say, no matter you know, what your political affiliation is, that like things are burning. How do we choose to spend our time on things? And for me, yes, you can be outraged, but also in order to keep on beating the drum, marching on, you need to have something positive to look forward to. Mm. And that's how we designed RISE and the campaign and all of our laws. Um, to, to be this uh, effort of positivity. If we want sustainable change, if we want systematic change and systematic sustainable involvement from people, we can't just get people to be mad all the time. Mad, you know, being outraged is part of it, but on top of that, we need to give people something to do and give them a return on investment of their time. So to see change, to be a part of that change. Wow. Okay, so much there. Um, so in fact, let's go back to my, what I was going to say earlier yeah. is the word victim versus survivor. Is that part Absolutely. of taking the negative, yes. the way that it seems like you're a victim that's bad, to being something that is a positive because I've survived yes. it? Yes. Absolutely. I think joy is the most powerful form of rebellion. Um, and that's why survivorship um, is different from being a victim. Um, and that's not saying that one phrase is better than the other. I think that there are just different moments for it. Um, and in fact, the federal law um, that we passed uh, is the first time in federal code that the word survivor is used, defined. Really? Yeah, and that was intentional. I wrote that intentionally. God, that's so freaking smart. Yes. Um, oh my God. So you said the word hope as well earlier. Yes. Um, what to use the difference then between hope and dreams? Yes. And why is hope so um, powerful? Yeah. Anyone can dream. Um, I think dreams are very important. You should dream all the time. <laughs> uh, I think you should daydream. I think the difference between having a dream and having hope is having a plan. So in order for you to feel hopeful, it means that there is some brick road, some pathway to get to an achievement, to achieve that dream. And that's the difference. Dreams um, can be grounded in the clouds. <laughs> Hope needs to be grounded in some form of reality that has steps to it. Um, and that's why our organizing curriculum is called Hopeonomics. Um, we want people to know that you can, no matter who you are, you can change the law because it's literally your right to. Mm. Um, and when I realized that my story wasn't mine alone, that was really a turning point. Mm. Um, yeah, that this is so much bigger than just me, that there's a whole 
movement behind this um, and that we have a chance to really collectively push for the needle change. Yeah, wow, that's incredible. And I hear you talk about your North Star a lot. Yeah. How important is that to you? And how important do you think that that is to anybody that is trying to um, achieve something? Really, really important to be very focused, have a very clear vision about what success means to you. I mean, any time that I was confused, any time that there were challenges, I returned to that. And that's what has helped me. It's a compass mm. for my soul. <laughs> so my North Star in fighting for these campaigns is making sure that survivors have the maximum amount of civil rights in the most efficient way possible. Most bills take 10 to 15 years to pass. We passed ours in seven months, the first one. <laughs> and then our track record has been passing a law a month. <laughs> That's insane. It is, actually. <laughs> like, are you literally, when you're starting this, you're yeah. thinking, okay, it's going to take me 15 years? Yeah. So you go into it thinking it's going to take you that long? Actually, I didn't go into it thinking that. I just literally went in with a lot of rage. <laughs> just wow. Which probably that may be the blindness to then, if it, you know, not thinking about it would take you 15 years is probably what helped you continue forward. Certainly. Um, it's also pathological optimism. I think there's a little bit of... When you're not in a field yet, you're able to have, I wouldn't say naivety, but also yeah. um, this, again, optimism, yeah. a different perspective. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, but also, you know, even though it's 10 to 15 years, um, the urgency of political issues uh, demand that we work on these things now. And what I mean by that is issues aren't inherently political. Usually, Paul, oh. yeah, so um, if you just look at policy, it's not political. Um, but somehow, because we have um, a two-party system in the United States, everything becomes ripped apart. Um, and first of all, in a democracy, uh, people need to hash things out, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and that compromise is just a part of it. When we negotiated the federal law, um, the, one of the rights that I wrote in there was the right to emergency contraception for rape survivors. And that was immediately nixed by um, the Republican Party. Um, what? Mm -hmm. And um, in order for the rest of the rights to survive, I said, okay, yeah. If, if, this, if taking this one out will have the rest of the rights survive, then so be it. Um, oh, can we go down that? that yes, oh my please. God. That's okay. having a very clear North Star, yeah. right? For efficiency. Oh. So, um, knowing exactly what it is that you're fighting for. Um, and that's how we got it passed in seven months. 20 plus laws subsequently included that right back in. Interesting. So, mm -hmm. did you at the time go, I'm I can deal with that later, just get this one passed yes, first? That's right. Oh my God, that's so genius. How do you emotionally do that oh it's dear yeah brutal. so talk right because <laughs> the, it, whether someone's not you know in yeah. your situation or not there's yeah. so many people out there that are in those situations where it's like no it's all or nothing i'm not going to give yeah. this up yeah but you were so strategic i got to imagine there was emotion behind that oh of course all right talk me through that so it's honestly really difficult uh to to do this work one obviously because of the emotional labor because of the personal ties to it but two because you're literally asked 
to see the humanity in someone who doesn't see the humanity in you. Ooh. Mm -hmm. But that's how we're able to move the pieces forward, right? So being able to just be so strong in your sense of self and what mm. you believe in and to have people just, just throw things at you and just be like, oh, that's, that's not me, that's you, right? And mm -hmm. still be able to engage. I mean, it, it takes a lot of work to be able to have that groundedness. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, we uh, have trauma training from um, the Department of Defense. So people who do like debriefs for um, veterans or um, for combat soldiers come in and talk to our senior staff on how to train our organizers because it's um, a similar mental space mm. where you're going in and you're, um, you are defending your own rights and people are attacking your rape. People are attacking you. Um, and so how do you stay grounded mentally wow. in that mental battle zone? Are there like three key things that, that you guys do or that they teach? Yeah, so Hoponomics is both gamifying um, the process of passing a law and then also using national security diplomacy techniques. Um, so in that part, uh, we have something called um, Commander's Intent, CI, and it's literally just the goal. Um, but the idea is in uh, a battle, um, you know, your commander will say your CI because uh, what happens if, let's say, your commander gets killed? then uh, what will the rest of the team do? How will they know how to operate? So being able to clearly state your objectives um, helps people, one, know how to get there, but two, be able to innovate and be flexible. So a CI, a very clear objective, um, and putting that up in front, communicating that in the beginning. Um, the second thing is something we call at RISE radical empathy, practicing radical empathy, again, being able to climb over these very uncomfortable walls and sit and be able to sit with someone who does not agree with you, might attack you, um, and to be very centered in that moment um, and engage with them. Um, radical empathy is seeing someone, senators, whomever, not as their position, but as a human. Um, and so a tip that um, we, we do is when we go into a member of Congress's office, we'll look at what is on his or her desk. Right? Oh. It has nothing to do with civil rights or sexual whatever. Um, but to look at that desk and acknowledge their humanity. So let's say they have a space shuttle that's on there. We'll start by talking about our love of space. Or let's say they have um, oh, a Wonder Woman statue. Talk about the latest Wonder Woman movie. It's trying to connect on that human-to-human -human level so that the person knows that this is not just a transaction, right? Even though to you, you know, it's about your civil rights. Right. Um, but also, it's getting them to feel like their opinion is valued. Wow, that was amazing. Was and lot. is it partly <laughs> of when you're looking at somebody like that, it kind of takes you out of just thinking about yourself? Totally. Oh, yeah. Because if you make it about you, it's going to tank. It really is going to tank. Um, movements require people working together. I love that. Um, you also talk about showing up. Yes. Um, so you almost didn't show up. Is that right? Yeah. To, okay, so talk me through that. Yeah. Um, it was 
the final day of the legislative calendar, which meant that it was do or die. You either get the bill up for a vote then, or you have to start the process all over again. And I remember getting a call from one of um, uh, you know, our policy advisors, um, and she said, I'm so sorry, they're not bringing it up. They're not bringing it up for a vote, it's gonna die. And I was already at the airport um, in DC trying to fly to, to Boston. Um, and I just broke down crying. I was just like, well, why should I come to Massachusetts um, and just watch my civil rights get slaughtered in front of me? Why should I even get on that plane? And it was other survivors who said, literally just show up, just be present, stand outside that door. And when they take their final vote, make each and every one of them look at your face hmm. as they walk out hmm. um, to know that you exist. Um, and I was the last person who got onto that plane. And we flew, we flew to Massachusetts. And it, even in the morning, all of the senators and the reps were like, we're so sorry, it's not gonna happen. Um, and we're like, okay, thanks, um, but we're still gonna be here. And for 14 straight hours, we literally just walked into offices and said, you know, hi, I'm a survivor. Hi, I'm an ally. Here's this bill, we're fighting for it. Can you please help us bring this bill out for a vote? Um, we asked people to call into the speaker's office. I watched those phones ring. Um, we were a little annoying <laughs> to the speaker, but at the end of those 14 hours, the speaker brought it up and the bill passed and it passed oh. unanimously. Which wouldn't have happened if you didn't show up. That's right. So do you use that as a reminder and as a story every time there's something negative and you just say to yourself then, now just show up? Yeah, it is so incredibly important to understand the power that we all have. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, you know, when there are institutions that are trying to push us back, we might think, oh, well, you know, that institution has been there for hundreds of years. Who am I? Um, but it's actually a lot of gaslighting that has got us to this mm -hmm. point because even though, yes, these are hallowed important hallways, um, these are institutions that are you know, on a pedestal, literally, um, senators are public servants. They serve us, the public, which means that in a democracy, we hold the power um, and we are exercising our right to be there. Um, so we're literally the boss. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's all about framing, right? Thinking yes. of it like that, I think, allows you to take action. Yes. Just by that thought and that perspective alone. Mm -hmm. right, so take me through. You're, now you've got five minutes to speak. Is it, are you in Congress at this point where you you like got a microphone, you've got five <laughs> minutes to talk? Yeah. Okay, five minutes is long. <laughs> now you're five minutes to, in essence, impact millions of people. How do you not shit yourself? <laughs> I'm gonna be honest, like yeah. seriously. Take me through that. Like, how do you stay centered, stay focused, mm -hmm. not be paralyzed by it with yeah. the immense pressure that is on your shoulders? Yeah. As soon as I remembered that it wasn't about me, it's off. Right? And that's all you just told yourself. It's not about no, me. It's not about me. It's not about me. Um, you know, and obviously the pressure is there. It's my own civil rights that I'm fighting for along with millions of other people. Mm. Um, but really it's about getting the opportunity to, to make, make a difference. Mm. Um, and how cool is that? Uh, also there's this other technique that um, a lot of policy people use that may be helpful for anyone, no matter if they're in policy or not. It's called a murder board. 
uh, originally at NASA, it's an engineering term, uh, at NASA, when you create a new product, basically um, a murder board is you encourage your colleagues to try to murder your idea. Um, oh. Yeah, so to find anything that could go wrong with it um, and try to kill the idea. And if it survives that, that means that it's safe enough to put onto a spaceship so it won't kill somebody. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you need to go through that. Um, and so similarly, um, before testifying, what we'll do is we'll have the team go around um, and they try to murder your you on the stand. What? So they'll pretend to be senators um, and try to get under your skin. Essentially, it's um, a very difficult simulation. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, so that you cry before you get on the real mm -hmm. thing. Um, so that at that point, you've been through it. You know it. Um, and um, you're ready for anything that they can hurl at you. I actually do that just in life. Yeah. So if there's a situation I'm a little tense about, mm -hmm. I'll talk through it with Tom. And he's yeah. like, okay, well, you know that they're like this. What ex what example is going to happen when you're at dinner with them? Yeah. You know they're going to say this. So you kind of just work through it. Yeah. Um, so I know also you've, you had some, um, you had two heart surgeries. Yes, I did. Um, and you were called sudden death, which is um, yes. you basically can die at any point. Yes. How much of that has played into just taking action and not waiting? I love impact theory because you do so, <laughs> so much research. <laughs> Nobody asks me about Thank this. You. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was 16 years old when I had two heart surgeries. Uh, my first one failed. Um, I had a condition called ventricular tachycardia. So in um, everyone's heart, uh, you have uh, basically a, a a pacemaker note, something that paces your heart. Mm. Um, and I was born with multiple defect ones. And so essentially my nodes would uh, compete against each other, which would mess up the rhythm of my mm. heart. Um, and it would race over 200 beats and then it would just stop. And then it would reset itself. It's kind of like a mini heart attack. At right. 16. At yeah, 16. Ooh. Very painful. Um, and I, um, after my first surgery, um, my, my surgery failed. So um, they said, your heart is now too weak to reset itself. So if you go Whoa. into an episode, which is it racing, if it stops, you die. So um, I had to be in a wheelchair for seven months. Um, and it was a complete, uh, a complete shock. I mean, um, I literally had to relearn how to walk, um, relearn how to do everything. There was a point where I was so weak I couldn't feed myself. Wow. Um, mm -hmm. um, and uh, learn to be happy with every breath that I was given, mm. you know? Um, and I think because that happened, I've become much more risk-taking um, because at that moment, I literally could die at, at any time. Um, so why not take on the United States Congress? Why? <laughs> yeah. Um, do you still tell your, like, remind yourself of that? Oh, yeah, of course. You do? Yeah, it's something, I mean, for seven months, every single day, 24-7, right? Um, that was the reality that I lived. And it's actually the reality that you live with right now, too. Mm -hmm. All of us live with that reality because we don't actually know when we're going to die. Mm -hmm. um, and so just having a diagnosis made it a little more real. Um, but it's still something that we all do 
Um, and so I think that has really shaped the way that uh, I was able to, to think a little differently about some of the issues I've encountered. Yeah, I always think, I think Tony Robbins, it says, how can you take the worst day and make it, you know, the best thing that's ever yeah. happened to you? And I think about that for you and like in that time, I'm sure it's like devastating. But in reflection, I do wonder how much that has played into mm. you taking the charge and taking the risks and not accepting, you know, the situation as it is mm. and saying time's limited, so I'm going to make the most of it. Yeah, a huge part. Yeah. Um, Honestly, when I was first told that at 16 years old, I didn't comprehend it. I mean, people, when they're uh, in their teens, right, they're just trying to have a good time, make right, it through, right, yeah. survive high school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and to have death, you know, um, be the diagnosis. Mm. Sudden, any, at any time, um, mm. you know, that was, was really hard to understand. Um, have you heard the um, the guy that ran the mile in you know four minutes and no one thought it was possible yeah. until he did it and then once he did it everyone did it like there was like five that same year. How much have you noticed that in, because of your action, because of Rise, because of what you've achieved, that you've actually opened the gateways to other people saying I can do that too? A lot, a lot. Seeing is believing. We've seen an incredible amount of people who've written in to say that you inspired me to do this and that's mm. why you know, I advocated for my rights, that's why I spoke up, that's why I testified at a hearing, um, that's why I passed certain laws. Um, and that's actually um, the next stage of RISE. Mm. Um, so our, our main goal is still to pass um, all these rights in all 50 states. And we welcome people who want to learn about the process, who want to organize. We need folks to come and, and volunteer with us. They can go to risenow.us, they can sign up. Um, we're also looking for people uh, of all different issues to be a part of Rise Justice Labs. It's our accelerator for civil rights campaigns. That's so cool. Um, and so what does the future look like for yourself? Two parts. Apart from being Madam President, which we've already established. <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling the shot girl. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, well, it goes back to, to NASA. It goes back to this idea that I want to be a civil rights astronaut. Um, yeah, I think we are multitudes. And if Elon Musk can do PayPal and te Tesla and SpaceX, then I can be a civil rights astronaut and love fashion. You know, I, I think that especially women need to see that, one, you can advocate for things without giving up your identity. Mm. And also that you can be many things. There isn't just one label for everyone. Um, yeah, do people try and put you in a box of just being in politics? Yeah, all the time. Um, you know, it, it's really funny. Sometimes I'll go into Congress and I'll meet with lawyers who mansplained to me back my law. Um, and I'm like, oh, great, yes, yes, I wrote it. And, you know, a lot of people see me as just victim, right? And not even as, you know, um, a campaign organizer or as a strategist. You know, by just purely metrics, 27 laws in the past two years makes us the most successful legislative reform movement in US history. And sometimes, Bias is very real. I've had people respond by saying, well, how could you be so calculating about an issue that is so emotional? Um, look, I understand that everybody has good intentions, right? But also, that's such a sexist thing to say. Oh, my God. Because nobody 
would go and argue in front of the Supreme Court, Your Honor, I feel that right, this is right. the right thing. And if you did, what would they say? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're being so emotional. Yeah. You're just, you know, you're a woman that can't handle yeah. her emotions. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually really nice to be able to talk to someone who appreciates the, st- the strategy around things. The funny thing is, earlier, I didn't want to interrupt you, but mm-hmm. as you were saying certain things, I'm like, you're a genius businesswoman. Right. Like, literally, as you were saying, like, you let that one go, you see the bigger picture, you stay focused, you have a North Star, you hold yourself to metrics. Like, I mean, literally, I'm thinking, you are a genius businesswoman. Oh, thanks. But it is about return on investment, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's also about believing in a democracy and being able to apply things from the business community, um, innovative tactics, Mm. uh, in order to run a more efficient campaign. I didn't have the political luxury of a cathartic performance. Literally, my civil rights were on a timeline. It was six months until my justice. So I couldn't just scream for screaming sake. You know, um, I had to work with both sides mm. in order to get my rights through. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it is about putting your ego aside. That's the most difficult part, um, which is remembering it's not about you. Um, even if they are attacking you, they're not necessarily attacking me, the person. They're attacking what I symbolize. Mm. Um, and hurt people hurt people. So when people are attacking, um, it's sometimes because they feel threatened um, or sometimes you're saying something that um, that they know is right um, mm-hmm. but they don't want to give up that power <laughs> and so it's been really helpful to do something that my therapist taught me which is to examine something let's say like this pillow so um, if people are like saying something to you just to take it as an object and like examine it you know, from afar, like, mm. oh, is this, is this me or is it you, right? Mm. Um, and being able to have that clarity um, and have that, uh, just being grounded and assessing whether it is actually something that I feel or something that somebody else is projecting onto me, mm-hmm. it's been very helpful. And again, going back to what you'd said earlier, it's kind of pulling yourself out of it, not being emotional and analyzing it with, mm-hmm. you know, a different perspective. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, where can people find you? Where can they yeah. find everything you're doing? Um, everyone can go to risenow.us um, and sign up to volunteer and organize. We still need people in all 50 states to help um, and, and you really can pass laws. So it's, um, it's a really fun experience. You are a true example of that. Uh, yeah, and so are over 200 people. So you know, the 27 laws, I actually didn't write and pass all of them. It was our organizers. And it's just such a joy to be a part of the community. You know? So if you're frustrated and you wanna make a change, either in the issue of sexual violence, sign up, we have campaigns ready to, ready to go, or if you have an idea on your own um, and you want to be incubated, mm-hmm. what we do is we literally, if you get exceptions to the program, we give you money so that you can spend your full time dedicated to the issue you want to change and we'll give you mentorship. So to show you that blueprint um, to train you to get there. So it's taking uh, the concept from Y Combinator or 500 startups, mm-hmm. tech accelerators. Yeah. You know, if entrepreneurs can get the opportunity cost of their startup lowered, then so should civil rights activists because we believe that the people who have the solutions to the world's most pressing problems are the people who live that problem every day. Mm -hmm. Um, And so why not give those people the direct resources to do so? That's amazing, girl. 
Congratulations. Thank wow. You. <laughs> um, and last question, what is your superpower? <laughs> it's probably being pathologically optimistic. I love that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Amazing. Guys, guys, go check out this woman. She is just amazing. Lovely. I have been fortunate enough to know this woman off camera as well and I freaking adore her. Like she's the person that if you believe you can, you can. If you believe you can't, you can't. And guess what? She believes so she can. So follow her, go get inspired by her. If you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Billu. If you're not subscribed and this episode has brought you value, please guys click that subscribe button. And until next time, go be the hero of your own life. Peace out, guys.